Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Sushi can be the platform to make something amazing. So now I think it's more of almost a global cuisine. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Today, learn the secret to better sushi with advice from Chef Mike Colantes. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Orlando is stepping up its game. To outsiders, Central Florida might just look like a bunch of turkey legs and Mickey ice cream bars. But in the past decade, O-Town has become home to some pretty top-notch eateries. And the powers that be are starting to take notice. In 2022, the prestigious Michelin Guide began awarding stars to Florida restaurants. Among the first was Soseki Modern Omakase in the leafy Orlando suburb of Winter Park. The dining room has just 10 seats, and the Japanese-inspired, locally-sourced dinner is always chef's choice. That chef is Mike Colantes. In addition to owning Soseki, Chef Mike works as a restaurant consultant and interviews fellow chefs on his podcast, 86 The Podcast. He also was recently a contestant on the cooking competition show Morimoto's Sushi Master, which you can watch for free on Roku. Chef Mike recently chatted with me about his decision to open an eatery with only 10 seats, the ripple effect of restaurant awards, and a hack for sourcing better ingredients for your next at-home sushi night. Okay, let's talk about Soseki, your restaurant in Orlando. As you said, only 10 seats. I hear about these 10-seat restaurants, and it's so hard to get a (laughs) reservation. But what goes into the decision to have a restaurant with only 10 seats? A budget (laughs) and COVID. (laughs) We opened a restaurant during COVID, and... I wanted to do something where we could really play. And uh, we found a great spot where it was a hair salon before I was the last guest. Shaved it off <laughs> they just then, shaved it all off. <laughs> and and they, yeah, I guess they had bad Yelp reviews after that. They closed up now. And we took over the space originally just saying, okay, we'll throw a little sushi bar in here, 10 seats, nothing crazy. The ambition of the team, the talent of the team that we put together really uh, drove what it is today. So we're about 90. We try to be around 80 to 90% of all local vegetables, produce, milk, dairy within the seasonality of Orlando. You'll get pumpkins in July and strawberries in December, but uh, they're all coming from about a hundred mile radius within 45 different farms. And then we have this traditional sushi side of it where we're bringing in a lot of fish from Japan, uh, dry aging it in house. Omakase means leave it to the chef. You're getting about 18 to 22 courses, just a a really highly curated experience between our our little team that we have there. So what's bigger, the team or the number of people dining in the restaurant on any given night? 
Oh, goodness. I, I guess we started out with three chefs and two amazing sommelier and uh, beverage director. Shout out to Benjamin, who also just won sommelier of the year by Michelin. It's really ecstatic that our little restaurant would garner such an amazing accomplishment. But yeah, it, was, it started out with about five of us. Now we dropped down to about four days and it's almost one-to-one team member to guest. So you're getting about a curated experience, 10 people to 10 guests, which is uh, not the greatest business model. It's terrible but, for uh, you. Great for the customer. Great probably. for the customer. And, and it really is about creating an experience that we, I always tell our, our, our team, we have 10 people. We have about two hours to really show our heart, show our hospitality, show them why they decided to dine with us. And we don't take that lightly. Yeah. Wow. So we're recording this on a Monday in late July. I don't even know what's in season now, but can you give me an idea of what was on the menu this past weekend? This is our dead season, our winter season in Florida. We, we really have nothing growing except maybe corn and cucumber. So we have corn and cucumber on the menu. We also have some local squashes that are coming on the menu as well right now. But it is definitely our season where we're finding the, the hardest to come up with some of those things. So what we do is we do a lot of fermentations, kombuchas. We do a lot of preservation aspects. So we, right now we have figs from last season. We have some different preserved fruits and stuff like that on the menu now. Oh, that's really cool. So yeah. would you expand beyond 10 seats or you want to keep it intimate? Well, we will be announcing a, another. Um, we have a small sake lounge next door. Again, playing off of the amazing accomplishments by our, our service and beverage directors there. So a sake lounge, which here in Orlando, you don't really see this curated sake program happening. So it's pretty interesting. We've been doing these sake classes out of our 10 seats. This will add about 40 40 to 50 seats right next door to Soseki with a brand new lounge. Yeah, we definitely want to have people have a, a little bit more casual experience, but we really like this elevated style of service. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're growing by 400% just by adding those 40 seats. So good. <laughs> as long as we don't grow the employees by 400%, I think we'll be- Hopefully not. <laughs> that would not be a good business model. Okay. You yeah. mentioned that the restaurant has won a Michelin star as well as the beverage program. And the Michelin program just started recognizing Florida, what, in 2022? Yeah. Just this is our second year. And man, we've seen just Everyone's stepping up their game. We're receiving amazing companies and restaurants that now want to uh, have a place here. What it's done for the culinary community, food community has been amazing. Top tier talent has been flooding the state of Florida. And it's also, it's great to see the recognition. I grew up here in Orlando. It was never turkey leg and a uh, pineapple dole whip at Disney. Is for pretty sure, much all a Mickey ice cream for. bar. <laughs> But it's great that, that now we're, uh, amazing chefs that's been paving the way have been getting right the recognition, the Norman Van Akins and, and things like those chefs of those natures. Yeah. Okay, so it does mean something because you hear people who aren't winning saying that these awards don't matter. But then when you win one, of course it matters. I would 100% say it does matter. It changed the trajectory of our uh, little restaurant. We were the little engine that could. Yes, 10 seats, but we are at a higher echelon, higher price point. We stuck to our guns the whole way through. We knew we were doing something special and amazing. We wanted to touch more people. Michelin basically threw the doors open and allowed us to globally be recognized 
for the amazing work that the team does. And ultimately that showed up in not just the profitability, but we're seeing reservations be filled throughout. And, and that's what Michelin did for us. So I, I can't say that it's worth it or not worth it until we won. And a hundred percent, so much gratitude for the recognition. It doesn't dictate why we do it, but it definitely helps us to continue to tell our story and reach a, a broader audience. Absolutely. For sure. Okay. Speaking of telling your story and reaching a broader audience, you have a podcast, Diaries of a Master Sushi Chef, and you were also a chef testant on <laughs> Morimoto's Sushi Master, which yes. premiered in June on Roku. So what goes into good sushi? You hear a lot of people talk about eating bad sushi, but what's good sushi? Less is more, right? I don't think you, I, maybe it's, I've been doing this 20 plus years cooking. I find now I, I taking away items and ingredients and just letting the, the small little details be the focus. Really good sushi to me, it starts with the ingredients, finding great ingredients and doing very little to it. Not just the sourcing. I think we always talk about this at our restaurant. Being a great sushi chef is how well you take care of the fish before the guest has it, whether that's aging, dry aging, or icing it down, or cleaning the fish. All of those things ultimately lead to great flavor and a great experience. But it, for me, it's very simple. Just, you know, good temperature fish, right temperature rice. With really, I like very punchy and acidic rice that matches and balances with the fish. And then soy sauce. But that's it. You don't really need much. Is there anything we can do to make better sushi at home or should we just leave it to the professionals? No, we definitely try, right? And it, it comes down to finding really doing great ingredients and having fun with, I'm Filipino. So we add a lot of Filipino flavor profiles to it that you don't normally see in traditional sushi, like calamansi or some of the spices and vinegars or coconut vinegar. You're raised up in this particular palate. Uh, I think introducing that into a new form and then, yeah, keeping it pretty simple. Where do we get these good ingredients that all the chefs keep talking about? Oh, uh, I mean, now you can get them everywhere, right? It's amazing to see they didn't have sushi vinegars and sushi rice at your local supermarket. It's pretty prevalent now. You want to make sushi at home, go to your neighborhood sushi place. Can I buy some rice? Can I buy these raw ingredients? Get your avocado, get this stuff somewhere else. Go get your fish from a great fish market and then create it. And that's a great way to just have a sushi party and say, hey, I'm having a party and I'd love to just buy a little bit of your rice and some nori and different things. I'm happy to do that as well. Like we do a omakase at home. We do a, basically you, you get to take the chef home and do a private party. And so it's a lot of fun for us to do it at the comfort of people's homes, have that little private experience as well. Yeah. Buying the ingredients from the restaurant, that's a great tip. Yeah, it's a clutch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you were competing on the show, I'm assuming that the filming is finished on the Morimoto show? We wrapped up filming last year, yeah. What was the hardest challenge you had? I'm thinking, how many episodes can you make about making sushi? But clearly, it's more oh, nuanced than I'm there's imagining. There's so much. Justin, it, it, people think it's just fish and rice, but... It is just fish and rice, and it's also, oh my gosh, it's fish and rice. <laughs> to me, that's keeping it simple is the hardest part. Yeah, well, it's a hard getting out of your own way. You know, when you're uh, in these competition shows, it's very easy for you just to get in your own head. So just being true to what you want to do and happy with the product you're putting out. And that's, I think that was, it, it was definitely a surreal experience for me coming from just being in a restaurant every single day. Yeah. 
Was there a particular challenge they gave the contestants that was hard for you? You have to watch it, but they ha- we had to turn like a sushi inspired. So I was given chicken pot pie. How in the world are you supposed to turn chicken pot pie into a Japanese or sushi inspired dish? But I felt like I did well. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I got to watch sushi that. Sushi chef and making your own dough and dough crust. You got to see it. It was, it was an experience for sure. Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. You've got Diaries of a Master Sushi Chef and the podcast. What all are we talking about here? <laughs> so Diaries of Master Sushi Chef is a uh, YouTube channel that's been going on for about 11 years. Charles and, and, and Hero have been traveling uh, around the country uh, showcasing uh, sushi in America and, and pretty much all over. So it's really a sushi-focused YouTube channel that really shows from making sushi to sushi trends to going to visit different farms like Faroe Islands and Backerfrost Farm, which grows the actual uh, amazing sustainable salmon, to uh, now having our podcast that we kind of feature different chefs, different calibers. We, we featured a few chefs from the show and got to hear a little bit of where they came from and how they got on the show as well. Just having fun with the media stuff. I don't take it too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> You cook, you eat, sleep and breathe sushi, basically. Yeah, so how, yeah, anything with food. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So how did you become interested in sushi? You said you grew up in Orlando, which again is known for theme park foods that sort of cater to the right. masses. And you said you have a Filipino background. So what were you eating growing up and how did you become so interested in sushi? Well, I grew up in, in Jersey. And when you have two immigrant parents that are working in New York City, we grew up on McDonald's, Burger King, and Taco Bell. On the occasion, we'd have a home-cooked meal and stuff like that. Definitely on more special occasions. But it was always Filipino food. And then coming to Orlando in the late 90s, the early 2000s, I don't think I've had sushi until I was a little bit in my early teens. And I went straight to culinary school worked in a traditional sushi Japanese restaurant where everyone was Japanese and then eventually just started working for Wolfgang Puck and they invited me to do this this sushi program there. I started off cutting vegetables and spent four years there to work my way up to be the head chef head sushi chef there. And that's when I just fell in love with cooking and cuisine and doing fine dining. You just could do so much with sushi and it was just really exciting. What are some of the sushi trends you mentioned that you're covering on the YouTube show? We're doing everything from like different makis to dry aging fish, which is a big one right now. So you're literally taking just like you dry age steak, fish fresh out of the water will taste amazing, but it won't taste like anything. It still has to develop these amino acids and the breaking down of proteins that really get the flavor profile. So, you know, it's really interesting to take some of the fish that we've done on the show, three weeks on a tuna, four weeks on a tuna, and tasting the difference of that. 
What's the difference in the taste? So you're literally pulling the moisture out so and intensifying the flavors. So you get a more rich, oily fish, but also it's almost like more lean because uh, there's no water content in there. So we're getting just like salmon that's just, you just see it shining when you cut into it. It's just a completely different flavor profile. And then you get that amazing crispy skin when you pan sear it. So there's just a lot of cool benefits of doing dry aging, well, doing it right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. How do we do it? We just buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it behind the lasagna, forget about it for two weeks, and then realize it's there and then cook it no. And we've had those moments where we, we've taken a fish like maybe 40 days, and then the 41st day, we're like, all right, we cannot. This is dangerous. We shouldn't eat it. You've got to know what you're doing with dry aging fish for sure. But there's some a, a lot of good resources now who are dry aging and sending it out throughout America like Jot Seafood, Leeway. He's been the, the godfather of the dry-aged fish in, in Los Angeles. And he does a great dry-aging program and sends it all, all across America. So it's pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to ask this question, so I'm just going to ask it. Do people ever think you're Japanese? Yeah, all the time. Maybe it's the bald head and the... You know, <laughs> <laughs> but not not really. I don't have the act. When they hear Michael Colantes, they think I'm Spanish or something at first. But it's a mixed bag when you're getting what you're getting from me. But I think it's truly the the story of I'm Filipino American. I'm doing sushi. I want to preserve the traditions of Japanese culture within that and make sure I honor that. But also tell a very unique story that I am Filipino American. That this is sushi in America, and I think that's the overall arching story that sushi can be the platform to make something amazing. Brazilian, I have a lot of chefs that are Brazilian or Peruvian and their concentration of Japanese in those countries, their style of sushi is completely different. So now I think it's more of almost a global cuisine. Yeah, it used to be exotic. And right. now you can get it just about anywhere. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good. And different styles, right? It doesn't mean it's bad. Cream cheese in the sushi rolls. Some people like scoff at it, but it works if it works. Wow. Okay. So I'm looking at your website. It says chef, consultant, restaurateur. So tell me about consulting. How do you help a restaurant improve and get those Michelin stars that everybody dreams of? Oh, we never promised that, right? But some consulting projects that I've done, it's, I always say the best part of doing consulting is I get to work with a new team, inspire, coach, and develop. And this stage in my career, I, I really am enjoying that process. It's a lot of work, but you're never going into a place and they're like, it's just a cakewalk. You're going into some war, right? We can't make it work. Things are, things are everywhere. It's very difficult and we need help. And I hear that a lot in the, I just got reached out by a chef who has an omakase in California. And I said, oh my gosh, your stuff looks amazing. I'm pretty sure you, you're a better chef than me. I don't know why you need my help. He's, I honestly need someone to talk to. The business side is hard hurt in me. I have young kids like you, chef. I've been following you for a long time and I just can't make this work with my family. And I'm like, forget about the consulting. Let's spend this next hour talking about your family. And, and what are you trying to get out of your operation more than just being a great sushi chef? And uh, I don't think as chefs, we're taking enough time to really speak about what are we, what's the end goal besides working really hard and showcasing our talents. And so I, I, that's what some of the best things that are coming out of this consulting thing is building these relationships uh, with some amazing people 
been hearing some of these similar struggles as I've been in or other chefs have been in and just connecting the dots of how people can have more resources to buy back time and create the life that they really want. Ah, that's so good. We did an episode a few years back with Greg Baker about mental health in the restaurant industry. Because you've got all these amazing accolades, but I hadn't thought about the time and the energy that it takes. Right. So what do you do on a day off? Well, to that effect, I always tell people the Michelin star, what a 20-year overnight success, right? Like people just see, oh, okay, this guy just popped up and it's, but they don't see all of those things, the heartache, the struggle to, to get there. But, and everyone has their own story for it. But what do I do on my day off? consult. Wrong answer. You're Uh, supposed to be relaxing. (laughs) Relaxing. Just spending time with the kids. For me, it's spending time with kids. We have so many different projects. Like We do this non-for-profit farm that's called Edible Education Experience here in Orlando. Like In two weeks, I'll be teaching a sushi class for that. So it's just normal stuff, I guess. (laughs) Oh, I I love sushi class for kids. How old are your kids and what advice can you offer parents for getting kids to try something like sushi? I would love parents to give me advice for it because my kids eat chicken fingers and french fries all day. I know it's so bad to say, but I'm having that same struggle. My kids are six and two. And yeah, if it's not something crunchy, my, my son who's two will not eat it. I struggle just like every other parent. We try to sneak in a little different flavor profiles here and there. But yeah, the struggle is real. There is. Okay. So Michelin star chefs, they're just like us. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, Mike, it was so it. fun to talk to you. Is there anything else you would like people to know? Thank you so much. So I do the consulting thing, which led me into a new restaurant here in Hollywood, Florida. I'll be opening uh, our first kosher sushi experience in Hollywood, Florida, across from the Hard Rock Casino. Uh, It will be an amazing rooftop uh, lounge and restaurant. And then we will do a kosher, fully kosher omakase experience. Just a new challenge that I'm crazy enough to do. (laughs) Very cool. What's the name of that restaurant and how many seats does it have, by the way? The upstairs is called G7, and the omakase room that we're doing, still undecided. It's still in the beta phases, but yeah, definitely check me out on the social media, and uh, I'll be definitely posting about it soon. Okay, sounds good. Maybe 11 seats at least? Uh, That sounds like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, well, we'll just follow you on the socials and wait and see. Mike, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Mike Galantes is a chef restaurant consultant, TV star, and podcaster. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave us a review wherever you're listening. It helps other foodies to find us. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. Our digital team includes Alexandria Ebron and Chandler Balcom. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2023, part of the NPR Network.